And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator from 1954. Then, Charles Boyer makes a guest appearance on A Date with Judy, starring Louise Erickson from 1945. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Hey, what's, what's happening in Hollywood? Well, you know, did you ever see the first Wives Club? Um, it's a, it's a I movie. can't say... Okay, well, I, I also have. saw the show um, okay. that came through Chicago, and Paramount Pictures is set to adapt the 1996 film into a 10-episode TV series. Okay. So that seems to a be the trend. A lot of that's been going on. That's yeah. what I thought. So the 1996 movie starred Diane Keaton, Bette Midler, and Goldie Hawn. Those okay. were the three women who sort of bonded over their failed marriages. Oh, okay. And that's the... Was Alec Baldwin in that movie, too? I think he was. I don't recall. All right, but go uh, ahead. I saw the, the play recently, which yeah. was really good. Mm-hmm. So it's going to set to return to television, which is more than two decades um, after this successful film debuted. So mm. very interesting. And basically, you know, women find their strength in sisterhood. I think it's going to be a success. Everybody loved this movie. So we'll see what well, happens. Well, if you can get me a part in it, I'd like, uh, I'll, I'd like uh, that. You and me both. All right. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. All right. You ready for Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator? Absolutely. This was a detective series that starred William Gargan. It came to NBC Radio in 1951. It lasted till 1955. He was a laid-back private eye working out of New York. He was your man when you can't go to the cops. Ralph Bell portrayed his associate, Lieutenant Travis Rogers. The casts included Elspeth Eric, Santos Ortega, and Arnold Moss. Blake Edwards wrote and directed a 1952 TV pilot, but it was unsold. So uh, never made it to TV, but it was very popular on radio. And we have a radio episode for you now, going back to November 21st, 1954. This is called The Sneak Assassin. It stars William Gargan in part one of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Here a guy called the deep type. It might be more a matter of geography than mentality. How deep is his grave? The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig speaking. Work is where you find it. When the case of Harry Jarvis fell into my lap, I was 900 miles from home base. 
motoring south along the Florida Highway. My destination, Miami. I wanted to see how horses were treating men at the big winter track. My usual annual stopover, about 100 miles this side of Miami, was a motel. The Happy Traveler Motel, the big neon sign said. A 16-cabin setup complete with hot showers and television, run by two partners, Mo Birch and Harry Jarvis. I knew the two of them way back. They'd run a custom haberdashery in New York once before going south to change their luck. Inside, I found Mo, but missed Harry. The last I seen Harry, he said goodbye. For keeps, Mo? Yeah. After you two being inseparable for ten years? Twelve. A business partnership's like a marriage. Sooner or later, it gets tired. There's a divorce. Well, one way of looking at it. Who saw it first? You or Harry? Harry. You heard the words faithful unto death? Who hasn't? That's me. I'm a sentimental slob, Craig. Uh, to change the subject, how's business? You saw my vacancy signs driving in? Yeah. Then tell yourself the answer. Business is lousy. I thought the happy traveler motel was a going concern. It was until Harry demanded his half-interest in cash. Oh. The books couldn't liquidate Harry's claim and still balance, huh? Harry put $30,000 in his pocket. There wasn't even enough left to pay the towel and linen service. So where do you go from here? I don't know. You loved Harry. We knew ups and downs. Times were tough. We shared a crust of bread. Times were good. We bought each other down in stiffness. Then what's really got you worried about Harry? Last spring, Harry married a cabaret girl, a Kiki Adams, a singer in a roadhouse. I didn't know that. A homely shrimp like Harry, 44 years old, not a hair on his bald head, taking a young cabaret chicken for a wife. Forty-four is the dangerous age for men, they say. A crack opens in your head. Yeah, and other things, Craig. The people Harry began to go around with a bop musician, a hornblower with a crazy name, Bigelow Bernie. And uh, the gangster in the silk suit. Gangster in the silk suit? Tony Saxon. They ran him out of New York. They ran him out of Miami. They ran Tony Saxon out of uh, San Francisco, Seattle, Nevada, and Dubuque. Uh, it could only be my imagination, something out of my nervousness for Harry, but the last days before we dissolved partnership, to me, Harry had a frightened look, like, like he was... Scared for his life? Yeah. And another strange thing. Yeah? He took his money and went. He had a bus ticket for Key West, he said. The bus at 6 o'clock that night. But I asked the driver the next day, Krogan, the driver. He stops over here to grab a bite and wash up. How did Harry look to him on the bus, I asked. But no, Harry. Krogan said Harry never got on that bus. You find it mysterious? What I find more mysterious is that Harry's wife, Kiki Adams, is still right here in town. In the same furnished apartment they rented last spring. Maybe Harry ditched her. Crazy the way he was over her? <laughs> Impossible. Also, thinking from the angle of the wife, the cash opportunity she grabbed when she married the poor fish, Harry. Harry's 30000 in cash. Exactly. I ask you, would Kiki let a gold mine slip away on a bus? Craig, I need some help. Well, I figured only to stay overnight. Stick around, Craig. Find Harry for me. All right, I'll stay a few days. Try to find out what did happen to him. Uh, what cabin have I got? Cabin four of the best. You get washed up, Craig. So then I'll broil you a steak. Free. On the house. Two and a half pounds of porterhouse steak later, with my stomach a foot in front of me, I went calling on Kiki Adams. 212 Elm Street. 
I had directions, Army, written out by Mo Birch. Drive east across the railroad tracks, then north one quarter of a mile past the county jail. One quarter of a mile past the county jail, I stopped. 212 Elm Street was a two-story frame building sandwiched between an abandoned schoolhouse and a plumbing supply wholesaler. A big front door with Isinglass slits on it and a brass knocker. I banged the knocker a little while, and then I tried the doorknob. I made less progress there. The doorknob came off in my hand. <laughs> a situation like that can become embarrassing. This one did. All right, drop it, Sam. It? The doorknob, Sam. I saw you cop it. You misjudge me, friend. I'm on the steps there beating my feet. I got a cold eye on you, Sam. You're low down jelly belly to the grass. Jelly belly? Hey, what kind of jive? Bigelow Bernie, Sam. And don't scratch your violin at me. Bigelow Bernie? I've heard about you. You're the bop musician. Hey, man, who's been scatting scandal about Bigelow Bernie? Never mind who's been scatting. Look, I'm a detective. Harry Craig. I'm here to visit a lady, Mrs. Harry Jarvis. Kiki, huh? My eye's getting colder, Sam. Where can I find Kiki Adams, Mrs. Harry Jarvis? At the Downbeat. The Downbeat? That the club she works in? That is. Thanks. You go back to beating your feet. And while you're mooning over Blue Mama Kiki, keep one fact in mind, huh? Shoot me, Sam. Kiki is supposed to be another man's wife. Put that in your horn and blow it, music man. I caught up with Kiki a half hour before her cabaret act commenced. She was in a dressing room doing back Say, you're wasting calisthenics, lady. Strengthening your back muscles won't do a thing for your voice. Uh, I'm off the singing bit, lover. Oh? Yeah. So many canaries around. Every kid out of high school. Oh, I see what you mean. So I get trampled in the mob. So I worked out a specialty number. Acrobatics, obviously. Well, more than that. I do a back bit while tooting on the sacks. See it? Vividly. While in the back bin, there's a glass of bubbling champagne on the floor. You get off the sacks and drink the champagne. Without spilling the drop. Will the act get me to Miami? Unquestionably. <sighs> Who'd you say you were, lover? Barry Craig. Sagittarius? Sagittarius? Your astrology sign. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Taurus the bull, I think. Taurus? Hmm. Will I do? Yeah. You can be favorable for me. Okay, lover, it's a date. After my 12 o'clock turn, whistle me over. A low, sweet whistle, lover. Now scram, huh, so I can practice? I got to drive Kiki home after her 12 midnight turn was extended to, uh, upstairs. Make yourself comfortable. To do that, I'd have to take off my shoes. Be my guest. Well, how do you like my home, sweet home? Charming. Lala. The crummy dump. It could use a coat of paint. It could use a match. I know the answer. What? Move. <laughs> Tell that to my husband. I will. Where is he? Harry's away on a trip. Oh. Lover, I want to set you straight. On? How you got here. Well, you invited me. To pass the time socially. I'm a night owl, not a butterfly. Have I made a pass, doll? No, not yet. So why the sermon? <laughs> I got a canned speech I use on guys I pick up with. All right, finish it. I don't like talking to myself when I get home after the show. I tried being an introvert once. I don't like it. You're up here only for conversation, lover. In the canned speech. <laughs> All right, if I made a speech now? <laughs> speech? 
Exactly where is Harry Jarvis? Uh, why should you care? I'm worried about him. Worry? You know my husband? I do. Know him and like him. Well, this is news. You never asked me why I popped into your life. No, I assumed you were just another job looking to get acquainted. I looked you up on Harry's account. To put it simply, I'm a detective. A detective? With Harry on your mind? Yes. Why? What's with Harry? He isn't around. Well, I told you he's away on a trip. You fail to say where. Where? Well, I don't know. Well, you're his wife. Well, sure, but he didn't say where he was off to. I didn't even see him when he left. I was at the club. There was a note waiting for me when I got home that night. Well, what did the note say? Say? Call away for a few days, something like that. Well, when was this? We. No, eight days ago. Where's the note? I got rid of her. What reason do I have to save her? Well, in these eight days, has Harry contacted you? No. And you didn't find that strange? Well, I guess I did a little, but... But? Uh, this may shock you. I'm shockproof. It was a relief with Harry away, so I didn't worry too much about his silence. You see, Harry's in his middle age. But you uh, married him. Yeah, I did. Why? Why? <laughs> Search me, I ask myself. I'm going to ask you a big question now. Get on record with an honest answer and you'll thank yourself sometime. What's the big question? Did you know Harry had liquidated his half interest in the Happy Traveler Motel? That on or about eight days ago, Harry had $30,000 in cash on him? I knew he was selling out in the motel. I know he'd already done it without the cash. Something happened to Harry? Until I know better, I'm proceeding on that premise, Mrs. Jarvis. I left Kiki to waste her fragrance on the four walls of the flat. Downstairs, I ran into a familiar figure. Back sitting on the next door schoolhouse steps, busy, quote, beating his time. The bop musician, Bigelow Bird. You're real low down, jelly belly to the grass, Sam. <laughs> I don't rate the cold eye, Bernie. I... I did nothing but converse with Kiki upstairs. It's still you and her husband in the field. I mean, if Passionflower upstairs still has a husband. Uh, what's your thought about that, Bernie? Harry will be home. Then, uh, why do you sit outside here beating your time and mooning over Kiki? Another man's wife, and no chance for yourself, you can see. I got an answer for you, Sam. I'm dying to hear it. You see up there where I'm pointing? That flat under Kiki's? Yes. I live there, Sam. I'm beating my time down here because I live up there. Bernie. Yes, sir. What if it turns out Harry Jarvis is never coming home to Kiki? He left her? Could be, no. Oh, never. Okay, so Kiki's one dish a man doesn't walk out on. But suppose Harry doesn't ever come home for a wholly different reason. Man, only one reason would keep Harry from coming home. Okay, anticipate me. Go ahead. He'd have to be dead, Sam. Real gone... And is that what you mean by Harry not coming home? That's exactly what I mean. That Harry's dead? Dead. With you out in front now in the grab for Blue Mama. You hitting around maybe I killed Harry? I'm asking you, uh, would you kill Harry Jolly? No, and oh, man. Then finger somebody for me. Somebody who would kill Harry. Hey, you were supposing before, now you're not. 
I've given up supposing. Come, Bernie, help the law and you help yourself. Well, man, if Harry is dead, there's only one man I know who... Who is this man? The sport in the silk suit. Tony Saxon? Man, Tony Saxon. Why would Saxon want to kill Harry Jarvis? Money, Sam. Harry was into Tony Saxon for money. Gambling debts? Tony Saxon is a gambler. Where do I find Saxon in this town? Three acres. That's the Fieldstone house on Chestnut and Raleigh. Man, Harry is dead, huh? That's my morbid surmise. Say, all right for me to go comfort the widow? I'd say it's more decent to wait until the corpse confirms that fact. You know, I'm glad I had this talk with you, Sam. No more feeling low down, jelly belly the grass, huh? Oh, no, I'm high in the stars, Sam, on a happiness jag. You sure go for Kiki. Oh, she's under my skin, Sam, under my quiverin' skin. Blue Mama Bigelow Bernie's blowing a high note tonight. I left Bigelow Bernie swinging in the trees and went to look up Tony Saxon. A field stone house. The house lit up like the people inside it were afraid of the dark. Every room inside and floodlights outside on the big lawn. To get in, you had to pass through a fence, what looked like an electric fence, to keep prowlers and police at bay. I looked for a buzzer, but couldn't find one for the life of me. While wondering how to get in, somebody solved the riddle for me. <laughs> a how-do-you-do from behind that closed my eyes. too with something rattling in my ears. The rattling of bone like teeth. When I got my eyes open enough, I saw what it was. Chips. Ivory gambling chips on a green dice table. I was stretched out on the dice table. He's up six and thirty-two. You win, Morty. Pick up your money. A sport in a black silk suit. Tony Saxon. Uh, what's this six and thirty-two, mister? The time it took you to come, too. We made a bet on it here, me and Morty and Fatso. A bet on how long I'd be out? I said ten minutes, Fatso there said eight. Morty's bet was six minutes. You were out six minutes and thirty-two seconds on my stopwatch, Morty's bet. Morty there owes me a cut for cooperating. <laughs> Beat it, boys. But not too far. Beat it just far enough to be able to keep me covered, fellas. We don't shoot fish in barrels, Craig. Then give me a running start if you really want to be sportsmanlike. You got death on the brain, Craig. Craig. You keep calling me Craig. Your name. You know. Your wallet says so does your police license. Did you restore everything back to my pockets in good order? Everything except your gun. You get that on your way out. Irene in the main foyer. She has your hat and your gun. So tell me. Uh, one of the boys, Fatso, there saw you prowling outside. He figured you were a lonesome stick-up case in three acres. He tapped you. My head doesn't just feel tapped. What happened to all the lights? Lights? The place was all lit up six and thirty-two ago. We turned them off. What happened to all the players? You're pretty smart. Smart enough to know you had a few games going here. Fatso didn't figure me a stick-up. He figured me a cop spelling a raid. You tapped me out until you shooed your guests home. I won't admit it or deny it. What can I do for you? Hand over the corpse of Harry Jarvis. Harry Jarvis is dead. I'll make book. Dead but no corpse. Not yet. That's bad news if true. You lost a friend? A debtor. Harry owes me 20000 His paper. 
Maybe you owe his estate ten thousand. How's that? The last Harry was seen, he had thirty thousand dollars on him. Good night, Craig. Morty, show Craig out. Hold up here behind an electric fence, uh, after being thrown out of as many states as I can name. Uh, who do you pay protection to, Saxon? Grandma Jones. Grandma Jones? My landlady. I rent three acres from her. Good night, Craig. Find Harry, let me know. A client of mine dies, I like to wire flowers. That's the first portion of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening Listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Outside Saxon's Fortress Wall, I found Fresh Company. A chap parked in my car, sprawled on the rear seat. He looked dead until he spoke. Don't you be alarmed, friend. You better be alarmed. I'm pointing a gun at you. Well, put it away. My name's Frawley. Bill Frawley. I'm the law here in Northgate. That is all the law they got this side of the county city. Why don't you put the gun away? When I see the badge. Hmm. Here it is. See, I was by a spruce across the street a while before. When that Saxton croupier came down on your head. You just watched the show? For now, I'm the law, but I'm peacefully inclined when it comes to Saxton's gang. He's the kind of commissioner's problem, and I got my complaint about Saxton up with Commissioner Hawkins right now. Besides, I was standing under that spruce with other things claiming my thoughts. What other things? Harry Jarvis, is he dead? What's your answer to it? Dead. Same conclusion you came to, friend. How do you know? Well, see, I was talking to Bigelow Bernie... After you, Doctor. Oh, I see. <laughs> I got something down at the jailhouse now that kind of proves Harry Jarvis is dead. You have to come see? I do. So start it up. The Northgate jailhouse was a clapboard framed shack a March wind could blow off its foundation. It had an office and a cell that could accommodate two overnight guests. At the moment, the room was a single, one prisoner. Fast asleep on a cot. He's what I brought you to see, Craig. The prisoner? Him. Looks like a hobo. Well, that's the trade he claims. Says his name's Dusty Ames. What does he do besides sleep? Loves to cuss you out. 
He had an ache now for three days. Turned down chicken yesterday and today. How come? Huh? Hunger strike. He wants his constitutional rights. Those being? Freedom. Freedom. Put him back on the road, he said. Three days, you said. Uh, what do you do here in Northgate? Throw away the keys? Well, I'm waiting for the wagon to come take him to the candlestick now. He'll get his hearing there. How does he connect with Harry Jarvis? Want to see the clothes on? Yes. Yeah. striped and blue suit. Hmm. Those yellow shoes? Oh, who can miss them? I know the suit and yellow shoes like they're my own. Harry's clothes. This Dusty Ames was wearing Harry Jarvis's clothes when I picked them up over in Route 9. When Dusty Ames came awake, he began to howl. I want my rights. I'm a federalist. President McKinley will hear about this. He does. You have a miracle on your hands. Look, Dusty, if you've got any wits, collect them. Wits? Why, sir, I was professor of cosmological dialectics in Katie Did College. But the road got into your blood, huh? The call of the wild Mackinac. So you turned in your cap and gown. Took to the open highway. And killed a man here in Northgate. That's a lie. You're in his clothes? I found those clothes, sir. We've been asking you where. I wouldn't tell the sheriff. Why should I tell you? Because when it comes down to it, I'm going to beat it out of you. Civilized man always reverts to the beast. Your predecessor in those clothes was a dear friend of mine, Dusty. A dear friend? A man's greatest possession in a cold, materialistic world. Sir, I have a poem right here in my pocket. After the fashion of Edgar Guest. Ah, I'll read it. No matter where the road may go, I'll always think of dear friend Joe. The bullfinch of the open road finally showed us where he'd found himself a new wardrobe. A tree hollow in the piney woods. The clothes were right in there, sir. Wrapped in tar paper set to burn. See yeah. the cinders? Yeah, I see them. Hmm. I had a time brushing suit off the bundle. Clothes smelled of smoke when I put them on. Some clothes have been burned. I find bits of charred fabric. And these, Sheriff? My shirt buttons. Yeah, some clothes had burned and something stifled the fire. Wind, maybe. Or the fire simply choked. Too much stuff on it, smothering it. How did you come on it, Dusty? I had my repast to tend to. It caught me a stray chicken. Fat little thing, six pounds. Looked around for a tree hollow to cook my supper. When you changed into the new clothes, what did you do with your own rags? Hung them to a tree. What for? As a sign that Dusty Ames had come through. A sign that there were stray chickens in these parts. A sign for other hobos. Live and let live. Craig. Sure? Harry Jarvis is buried here in Piney Forest. Yeah, looks like. How big is Piney Forest? Bigger than Northgate Township. Close to 400 acres. Meaning we'd need a regiment to unearth the body here. It needs more manpower than Northgate's got. We could appeal to the state governor for National Guard. No. We may not need to. Not need to turn up the body Harry Jarvis? The time and labor and agony. We might be able to avoid all that. How's that? See if we can get the murderer to find the body for us. Now, that'd be a trick. Trick is exactly what I have in mind. Yeah. We'll try to make a trick do for manpower, Sheriff. 
I briefed Sheriff Frawley on what I wanted him to do. I'm to let the word get out that we got ourselves an eyewitness. That your hobo prisoner let on eat uh, seen the actual murder and burial in Piney Forest. Now, who do I let the word out to? The town elder and the town idiot. Just so the news percolates. Just so it reaches uh, Kiki Adams, Tony Saxon, and that bop musician. Bigelow Bernie. <laughs> I know what. What? I'll step into that downbeat club and have some beers. Now, ain't nothing like a bar room for loosening the man's tongue. Yeah, you do that. Now, when the word does percolate, uh, I still ain't exactly clear. Our phony eyewitness right off becomes a marked man. The killer, whoever he is, must pull a repeat performance. Kill Dusty Ames, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, the wool around your brain. Well, I still don't see. Dusty Ames is safe in the jailhouse. Safe? <laughs> A nine-year-old boy can get into your jailhouse, Sheriff. Just provide him with a dime can opener. Besides, you won't make it tough for the killer to get in. I won't? No. Front door unlatched. Just the cell door closed. With Dusty Ames, a sitting duck in a cage. The easiest target in the world, a dream pigeon. Now get on it, Sheriff. Sometimes it plays exactly according to script. Sometimes it doesn't. This time it did. I could hear the village chimes when the silhouette appeared at the jail window. Head and shoulders and face with no identity to it in the pitch dark. I was in the office under the desk. A neat hunk of gymnastics considering my size. It was more than two minutes before the killer dared to try the door. His feet were six inches from my nose when he stopped dead center in the office. I had to imagine the rest. My line of vision was too low now. I imagined him estimating the sleeping figure of Dusty Ames, estimating how to make his shots effective. I didn't wait for the murder of the hobo. I just took aim at a 45-degree angle from the floor and shot my pigeon in the leg. That's your killer. It's time for rejoicing. But I didn't feel that way this time. I only felt like getting drunk... It kept me like a fox playing games with a rabbit. How's your leg, Moe? On fire. Why didn't you aim higher? Moe, why did you ask me to find Harry? I asked you to find Harry to demonstrate to me how safe I was. I decided to make a test with you, a smart New York detective. If you couldn't catch me, nobody could. I could stop worrying. Well, you gave me a demonstration. You killed Harry for his $30,000. You've got it stashed away. I killed Harry because I was too old to start over again. We made our life together, and Harry was condemning me to death. Bankruptcy isn't death, Mo. At my age, it is. And my condition, it positively is. Your condition? Heart, liver, kidneys. Inside, I'm like a bombed out Berlin. It was... No time for me to start all over being young and ambitious. Mo, my thought is you're a little off. No, my friend. Say I'm worn out in the world, that's all. Just say that at 53, I, Mulberts, got so confused I fired a gun at Harry Jarvis. I want to know where you buried him, Mo. Sure. You want to know, and I'll tell you. Right now, I'm... 
Sometimes you take no pleasure in the catch. Sometimes all you want to do is get drunk. You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, The Sneak Assassin, was written by John Robert. The National Broadcasting Company has just brought you an NBC Radio Network production with William Gargan, starring as Barry Craig, confidential investigator, directed by Arthur Jacobson. Also heard were Parley Bear, Herb Ellis, Betty Lou Gerson, Marvin Miller, and Joe Cranston. Eddie King speaking. Follow the Abbots in another exciting mystery tonight on most NBC radio stations. And that's Barry Craig, confidential investigator from November 21st, 1954, with The Sneak Assassin, starring William Gargan, also in the cast, Parley Bear, Betty Lou Gerson, Marvin Miller, and Joe Cranston, as heard on NBC. Well, before we tune into a date with Judy, I want to remind all of our listeners about our surprise boxes. They're going fast, Lisa. Tell our listeners about them. We have three choices of surprise boxes. We have classic radio. We have classic TV on DVD. And we have Twilight Zone audio dramas also on CD. So um, $39.99 is the price, but you get over $150 worth of merchandise, brand new. Um, and we'll give you hours and hours and hours of enjoyment for the low price of $39.99. You pick your box, you can pick all three. I'll tell you what, people have been going crazy for these surprise boxes. In fact, ordering um, over and over and over again. So go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. You'll see a pop-up. And at that pop-up, it tells you all about each of these three surprise boxes. So check it out, Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for A Date with Judy. This was a comedy series that came to radio in 1941, lasting all the way to 1950. The series was aimed at a teenage audience through the eyes of Judy Foster, her parents Melvin and Dora Foster, and her brother Randolph. Episodes revolved around Judy's boyfriend troubles, issues at school, and having overprotective parents. Anne Gillis, Ellie Ellis, and Louise Erickson all starred as Judy Foster. Her boyfriend, Oogie Pringle, was portrayed by Richard Crenna. As the popularity of the radio series peaked, Jane Powell starred as Judy in a 1948 MGM film. In 1951, a TV series starring Pat Crowley surfaced. But right now, it's a comedy episode of A Date with Judy, where Judy's special guest is Charles Boyer. Let's go back to April 3rd, 1945, for part one of A Date with Judy. A Date with Judy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special treat for you this evening. Here to keep his date with Judy is the celebrated motion picture star, Charles Boyer. And now to keep our date with Judy, that lovable teenage girl who is close to all our hearts. And now let's see what's happening at the foster house. Judy's parents and her kid brother Randolph are in the living room when Judy bursts excitedly into the house. 
everybody. Mother, may I use some of your perfume? Well, now. Father, I've got to borrow your car. Mother, I can use your perfume, can't I? For heaven's sakes, Judy, what's going on? Just everything, that's all. Just everything. Oh, if this were only evening instead of day, I could wear a long, slinky black evening gown if I had one. But on account of its Now, day, wait a I... minute, wait a minute, young lady. Calm down. I'd like to know I if wonder it's... if I ought to wear my false eyelashes. Huh? Of course, he's the type who, on account of his knowledge of makeup and everything, would know they were false. But still, eyelashes would be so nice to have on to flutter up and down at him. Flutter up and down at who? Why, Charles Boyer, of course. Ask a silly question, you get a silly answer. <laughs> Randolph, find me my French book, please. On account of I thought it'd be nice when I enter languorously into the room if I said something appropriate like, uh, Bonjour, mon bon monsieur. Come and tally vous and everything. Appropriate for what? That sounds like it's appropriate for almost anything. <laughs> or do you think I ought to come in and say, Ah, monsieur Boyer, vous êtes terrifique, in a kind of a low Lauren McCall voice. In a minute, I am going to say something in a kind of a low Humphrey Bogart voice. <laughs> Something terrific. Judy, what is this all about? Don't you know? No, we do not know. Oh, I thought I told you. I'm going to interview Charles Boyer this afternoon for the high school magazine. He's in town to make speeches for the Red Cross. Oh, is that all? Oh, I was chosen over every other girl in the school to do the interview. Why, it's a terrific honor. Well, just how did you get this honor? Oh, probably by kicking every other girl in the teeth. <laughs> Randolph, that isn't true. I merely talked louder than anybody else, that's all. No hair pulling? Just Tootsie Whiteman's. <laughs> well, she'll look better without those bangs of hers anyhow. Oh, Randolph, I didn't actually pull her hair physically, just mentally. Tell us the truth. Is she totally bald? Randolph. <laughs> oh, isn't it wonderful that I've had two semesters of French? What if I'd taken Spanish instead? Oh, I shudder to think of it. But I'm so lucky to have taken French. Otherwise, Mr. Boyer might not be able to understand me when we chatter Francais at each other. <laughs> He's lucky to have a little trouble as it is. Well, I've got to hurry and get ready. I want to put it right down in my date book. Oh, this is the most exciting thing that ever happened to me. Just imagine me, Judy Foster, going to be face-to-face -face with the great Charles Boyer in less than an hour. <laughs> I can hardly believe it. In less than an hour? Well, then will you tell me why you have to put it down in your date book? Oh, Father, don't you understand? When I'm old and gray, I'll always be able to look back in my date book and say, Well, I had a date with Charles Boyer. Yeah, well, that'll be nice. <laughs> well, I think I will wear my eyelashes. They're so luxurious. If they're as luxurious as the last time you had them on, Mr. Boyer won't be able to see your face through the foliage. <laughs> Mr. Boyer. Yes? Yes, Max? Uh, there's a gentleman here to see you. Says he knows you from Paris. From Paris? Really? Who is he? Oh, he just says he knows you. He was the proprietor at the theater, the prompter at the theater where you used to act. The prompter? Oh, Dubois, Jacques Dubois. Show him in, please, Max. Uh, right away. This way, sir. Oh, merci, merci. Monsieur Boyer, Monsieur Boyer. <laughs> oh, Jacques, mon vieux, que c'est bon de vous voir. Oh, et moi aussi. Oh, mon ami, mais non, 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 non. We must speak in English. This is America. Yes, yes, this is America. How on earth did you get here? Oh, mon vieux, it is a long story. I escaped from France three days before the Nazis arrived. Just three short days. Oh, I'm so glad. Jack, you don't know how it does my heart good to look at you. But what are you doing here? I mean, here, in this town. Oh, I am a war worker. 
Clac, 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 I push the object like a gun at the factory. I am a riveter. <laughs> a riveter. Oh, oui. <laughs> and what has become of the play scripts over which you used to shake your head sadly? No, no, Monsieur Boyer, no. You have forgotten your lines. <laughs> ah, those were beautiful days, were they not? Beautiful. Uh, I was so cruel when you would make the mistake. Monsieur Boyer, I would say so sharply. You have made the, the, the fluff. <laughs> the lines she does not read as you have said. Not at all as you have said. <laughs> Oh, and always you were so kind to me, so very, very kind. Well, you were the best prompter in all France. Oh, Monsieur Boyer. <laughs> and now you are the best riveter in all America? Uh, modestly, I must say so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are an angel of a man, Jack. <laughs> an angel of a man. Uh, you know, when I saw in the newspaper this morning, Monsieur Charles Boyer will be here to speak for the Red Cross, I said to myself, Jacques, you will go to see Mr. Boyer. You will display yourself to him at once and let him hear your beautiful English that you have learned since coming to America. Uh, she is beautiful. My English is she not? Amazing. Huh? I've heard nothing like it in all America. Oh, thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, you are always so good to me, so very kind. Uh, tell me, tell me, uh, how is little Nanette? Oh, oh, Nanette. Oh, she is wonderful. But she is now a young lady. Nanette, oh. grown up. Oh, the little baby I bounced up and down on my knee. When I came to your house for supper after the play, <laughs> remember how you cooked the supper? You were the greatest cook in all France. <laughs> oh, now Nanette has uh, uh, superseded me. She's still a greater cook. What? Mm. Your baby? She's old enough to cook? Oh, yes. But how long ago was it since I came to your house? Oh, a long time. I remember I would wake the baby no matter what the hour... She would open her eyes, always laughing. I would say, Uncle Charles is here. <laughs> yes, and she would run to me and I would pick her up in my arms and she would laugh and it was like music. Oh, she was a beautiful child, right? Uh, even then you would say, this baby, she has the talent. She will be a great actress someday. And it is so. She's an actress? Well, no, but she is a singer. Oh, she has the voice from heaven. Yeah. Opera, she knows them all. <laughs> a golden soprano. Uh, someday there will be those who will listen. Someday. But she is still very young. She's just 16. Hmm. Jacques, if I could do something for her, I mean, perhaps with my little influence... Oh, no, no, Monsieur Boyer, do not come to ask the favor. Oh, I know, I know that. But still, send her to me. I would like to see the little Nanette, now a young lady. Oh, very well, I will. I will send her to see you this afternoon. I will say, Charles Boyer, the great cinema star, would like to see you. No, no, you say, Uncle Charles, your old friend, would like to see you. Ah, <laughs> very well, I will, I will. Oh, but now I must go. This is my lunch hour from the factory. I must be back with my rivet at one o'clock. I cannot thank you enough for coming here. And I must see you tonight. Yes. Uh, come to the Civic Auditorium, where I will speak for the Red Cross. I will be there. Au revoir. Au revoir, Jacques. Oh, Max. Yes, sir? Uh, there will be a young lady who will come to see me here this afternoon. Please admit her. I'm most anxious to see her. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's the first portion of A Date with Judy. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Do you own a business? Would you like to reach millions of listeners coast to coast on our national radio show, Hollywood 360? We can promote your business or product each week to our loyal audience. To learn more, email Steve Lessman, our national sales director, S. Lessman at falconpicturegroup.com. That's S-L-E-S-S-M-A-N at falconpicturegroup.com. S. Lessman at falconpicturegroup.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. 
Next time, it's the conclusion to a date with Judy. Then William Conrad stars as U.S. Marshal Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. That's all next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.